Welcome to the Future Friendly Podcast, where we sit down with leaders from organizations from around the world to share learnings and tips on how they're making change on the ground and fast forwarding to a better future. I'm Sakshi Joshi, and co-hosting with me is Johnny Rogers. Hey, everyone. In this episode, we speak with Rebecca Cross, the Australian Capital Territories Coordinator General for the COVID-19 response. She shares with us how to know if you're on track during a crisis and how to manage the constant flow of ever-changing information and just how important it is to get the simple behaviours right so you can focus your energy on thinking about the bigger picture. So let's jump in. We started by asking Rebecca how she came to this emerging role. So I've um, been working in ACT government for around 18 months in the Community Services Directorate. Um, And the nice thing about that was I'd had time to really work out what I wanted to do in the directorate and sort of set up my five-year vision and um, was really looking forward to 2020 to hit the ground running and start delivering on that vision. Um, And early on, as you'd know, we had the bushfires and the smoke and quite a difficult January in Canberra. Um, I then had three weeks uh, heading up the education directorate and while I was there we were just starting to hear about COVID-19, particularly in the context of school students coming to Canberra from overseas and how we were going to get them to Canberra with some of the border closures and um, it was just starting to get um, a little bit of attention when I was in the education directorate and then by the time I got back to community services Um, National Cabinet had formed and things were moving at huge speed. Um, And I I don't think I've seen things change that quickly in my entire time working in government. Um, So it was, you know, huge speed, really um, difficult times for governments trying to balance the health impact, the economic impact, the social impact of the decisions that they were taking. Um, But seeing what was happening overseas and knowing that they needed to move quickly um, and that they needed to make those hard decisions Um, And what we found in ACT government is, yeah, this is very much a health response, but it's got really, really major consequences across every area of government. And rather than having the chief health officer um, distracted by those broader consequences of the decisions, uh, the government took a decision to set up a coordinator general that would look at all of the non-health COVID-19 issues Um, work really closely with the Chief Health Officer to make sure that everything we're doing is aligned, but leave her to focus on the health impact um, and then the Coordinator-General to be a single point for anyone with any other query or anything else that needs to be done um, and to provide that focus for the huge whole-of-government effort that needed to be rolled into place. So I think it was about the 24th of March we decided to... um, proposed to the government, the Coordinator General, um, and it was signed off and finalised on the 30th of March. Wow. And life has changed from that moment onwards. Yeah. It's just, yeah, like you're saying, to be able to build that momentum and make such a decision so quickly seems incredible, especially at that level of government, you know, to bring across especially those different parts and um, seeing the different areas and actually coming together as one is actually an amazing feat in such a short amount of time. Could you bring to life, like, what were those early days like for you? You know, so you had come to form this team, um, you're a part of it. What, what exactly did it feel like? What did it look like? What was, what was your day like? Um, so I think at the very beginning, um, 
and it's not a criticism of anyone, but things were moving so quickly, it felt slightly disorganised. Um, and people weren't always clear, you know, where to go, what was happening. Um, and we, we'd put some systems in place, but they hadn't really um, been bedded down. And so probably the strongest impression at the beginning was the need to sort of get the basic infrastructure in place so that we all had proper processes and systems and clear points of contact um, and that the information flow was happening well. And, and often um, in a situation like that, people worry about what they don't know. And so even just having the regular communication so they knew that they knew everything they needed to know, that creates a sense of calm. So probably it was um, in the early days with things happening so quickly um, and so many complex things needing to be dealt with across government, um, the most important thing was to sort of put order so that it was orderly rather than chaotic. Um, and, you know, we certainly we were getting to that point, but I think bringing a coordinator general in where that's the sole focus as COVID-19 and getting that whole of government effort working well, I think that was really important early on. Yeah, amazing. And I'm really interested, Rebecca, you know, in those early days, this kind of emerging role, you know, how, how did you make sense of that role? Were you just leaning on your previous experience or just kind of rolling with the punches or did it force you to adopt new behaviours or think in different ways? Um, so, so early on, we took a decision that the best thing to do was to build on existing structures, not create something brand new and different. So the starting point for the role was the, um, the normal arrangements that you put in place during an emergency where you have someone who's the emergency controller. Um, and so that, that's really what it was modelled on. That's normally set up under legislation, but we decided that in this instance, the chief health officer was working under the health legislation. So the coordinator general would just be established by a government decision. So I don't have any legislated authority, but we would then use the, ba the basic structure that we use for emergencies. And so you've got um, all of the directors general that meet as a group, and then we set up a further group of all of the deputies because this was so significant we needed people getting together initially daily that actually had the capacity to take decisions and take action. Um, and they worked almost like the emergency control centre and they were the liaison back into each directorate. So that's the normal architecture that you would put in place during an emergency. We replicated it and then tweaked it so that it was more senior people in the emergency control centre and that we had this dedicated coordinator general working alongside the chief health officer. But it was the same basic structure um, and we had to put together a submission that made it very clear to government what that authorising environment was, what the different components were and how that aligned to what we would normally do during an emergency um, because that that starting point of really getting those structures in place and that understanding clear, that's, that's really important that everyone has clarity about the role. So that was the first thing. And I was very fortunate to have colleagues in um, ACT government who are very, very familiar with the Emergencies Act and all of that infrastructure. And we basically workshopped over a weekend. Everybody gave up their time to work it through, tweak it, make sure it would work for everybody, um, and then put that model back for approval. Um, it's called a command and control structure, um, but I've worked in social policy all my life, so I find that a bit awkward because I prefer not to command and control. I just like to work with my colleagues and they're fantastic and they, 
sort of lean in and support everything that you need. So it's modeled on command and control, but it works more as a normal sort of working together cooperatively sort yeah. of arrangement. Yeah, that's incredible. I think what's interesting is, you know, you're talking about you built on some existing structures. So giving yourself not a blank slate, but you actually worked off of things that already existed. And together with this team, you were able to, you know, like you said, replicate and tweak. How do you guys learn if it's working or not? Like what type of feedback loops did you put in place to actually um, understand if you were on the right track? Um, so, so I'll probably talk about sort of going back to basics later on, but the f first thing that I did was what I would normally call um, a listening tour, um, where I set up meetings with all of the people who um, it was important that, you know, we had a clear understanding of my role and spoke to them. So it was every minister and every director general who wanted to have a conversation to understand what was working and what wasn't working um, and to understand their expectations if we put this role in place what they would be looking for um, and how they would be judging success so what they would see as a successful um, outcome from putting this position in place so I think having that listening tour where very early on you get out and hear um, how people are feeling and it's what they're feeling as much as what they're thinking that's important um, and then reflecting back to them in the model that we put forward the things which they'd been looking for. So that, that basic consultation at the beginning with all of the key stakeholders. Um, and, you know, they gave me lots of really, really good ideas about what we could be doing um, better in the ACT um, and in a sense of, you know, what we needed to be moving towards so that we didn't stay in that initial quite reactive stage um, and that we were actually being very proactive and strategic and looking you know well beyond the immediate crisis to what we'd need to be doing for recovery how we were going to support the community so that we were resilient um, in these very difficult times um, so talking through all of of those things very early on meant that i had a pretty clear sense of what success would need to look like yeah amazing i'm curious as well kind of a personal question i guess um you know i've had the experience working at MF of, I wouldn't say dealing with crisis, but working with people in vulnerable communities. And, you know, that can take an emotional toll. Um, I would imagine that throughout this work, you are hearing some quite harrowing stories, you know, here on even pre-COVID with the, the bushfire crisis, you know, I think all of Australia could see, um, you know, the loss of homes, in some cases, loss of life. You know, I'm, I'm sure you are hearing some about some very difficult situations. How do you manage your own well-being through that to be able to show up? Do you just kind of focus and get on with the job, or how does that work for you? Um, so you, you're right. We did hear sort of of people who've been having a, a really tough 2020, um, and I think for people who were affected by the bushfires, they they somehow they feel a bit forgotten because of COVID nineteen and and so they've had the huge trauma of the bushfires, then the trauma of COVID nineteen rolling over the top of that. But this sense of being forgotten, and I think it's really important. We're really conscious of that here in the ACT government, and that we we do keep focusing on, you know, the full impact that we've seen in twenty twenty. Um, the other thing which we saw a lot of was the um, the huge personal anxiety for our staff 
Um, we have a lot of frontline staff in ACT government because, you know, we run the services. We're a state government and a local government. So we run the garbage collection. We run the city services. We run the buses. Um, and so a lot of our staff in frontline positions were feeling very anxious about what was happening with COVID-19. Um, and you would have seen the debate um, across the country in schools. Um, you know, teachers who were being told that it was okay to keep teaching where they were in close contact with children and other adults. Um, and a lot of them feeling a lot of personal anxiety. And when you talk to them, um, you do empathise with them and, and you do feel that. And I think um, for me personally, um, actually some of those conversations were really useful in grounding me. I think in a position like mine, my job is secure. You know, I work in government. My job is secure. I've got something really worthwhile to do. Um, and it's really important to realise that not everybody else has that security um, and that other people are really struggling. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their business. You know, they've put their life savings into setting up a new restaurant and it's been shut down overnight by government. People who need their shift work to pay their bills, who lost their jobs overnight. Um, so even, even though some of the conversations and some of the things you see and hear about are quite harrowing, um, for me, that's a really important part of my role, not to just be sitting in a secure job surrounded by other people in a secure job, um, but to understand how the rest of the community is feeling. Um, you, do, you do, I think, when you put in really long hours, um, some of these things, you can feel them more. You sort of sometimes lose your perspective. So for me, it's always trying to keep that work-life balance. And if you have to put the long hours in, trying to find some way of getting a break at some time. Um, and I'm really, really fortunate that I've got a great group of friends. Um, and sometimes it's just being able to talk things through with them. They're you know, former public servants um, or current public servants, but just people you can talk it through with. For me, um, discussing things is a really good way to just work them through in my own mind. But yeah, it's been a really, really tough time for people in Canberra um, and across Australia. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people in frontline positions who have gone through huge, huge um, emotions. Um, you know, you think about the staff in the hospitals when they're seeing health staff overseas catching COVID-19 and seeing the decisions that are being taken. It's been really, really tough. Um, and so, yes, there's a lot of pressure in this job, but compared to what other people are experiencing, um, again, I still, I feel quite lucky and I feel that um, I've escaped a lot of that uncertainty. I think when, you, when it comes to uncertainty, like you said earlier, um, people worry about what they don't know. And so giving them those structures and some sense of order in um, amongst all this chaos um, I kind of want to switch gears to what you were mentioned earlier, which is going back to basics. So um, my question would be, you know, how are you managing the pace of change and everything that's new? Um, and obviously your past experience um, is nothing close to what is happening day to day because it's completely new experience. So how are you managing um, new information, new learnings every single day? Um so this is on a completely different scale to anything that I've experienced, but um, I did work in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet for seven years. Um, and during that time, I think it was five Prime Ministers and four Secretaries. Um, and so at the centre of government, 
things do move quickly. And when you get a change of prime minister or a change of secretary, we used to talk about the need to pivot. Um, and so the idea of putting some structures in place, getting the fundamental things right, so that you've got a really strong base. People, you know, they, they can see um, what the governance arrangements are. They can see who's accountable for what. They can see the different things which are happening. If you then need to pivot, um, it's easier because people have that clarity and the basic structures are there. So I think um, what we've, and, and, you know, we probably talk more here about, you know, flexing up and flexing down. Um, as the issues change, different parts of the system become more important. So you would think that once we get through the easing of restrictions, what we will flex up a lot more is the community recovery, the business recovery, the economic recovery. Um, if we see outbreaks like they have in Victoria, then we would flex up the health response. So it's sort of pivoting and flexing up and flexing down. But if you've got the right governance and the right structures and the right information flows and processes for taking decisions, if you've got those basic things right, I think it's easier to flex and pivot um, and that people have that clarity. They might know what's going to happen next, but they know the processes that will be followed and that they'll be engaged and that they'll hear what's happening and there'll be no surprises. Yeah, could you talk a little bit more about what those structures look like um, for people who are listening who maybe aren't in um, the public service or in, in government and, pro you know, everyone's kind of dealing with their own version of this crisis. What, what, would, what are some of those um, fundamentals and structures? What do they look like? Um, so I'll start with the, the most basic ones, which, um, and, and a lot of this, I should say, um, while all of this was happening, we were also all moving to working remotely. Um, and that happened very, very quickly and, and possibly before we'd put some of the capabilities in place. So supervising staff remotely is different to supervising them um, face to face. So we were doing um, all of this while we were moving to complete remote working. So the first thing which I set up, which is really basic, was a daily meeting, first thing in the morning, with all of the key people who just needed to know what was going on, what the issues were, and was there anything new that we needed to focus on because something had come up overnight, something had happened at AHPPC, the sort of health officials meeting or the chief health officers meeting. Um, so that every morning, first thing before we did anything else, so I think some people had a meeting before mine, but 8.30 every morning, the key people got together and we had what we called a coordination check. Um, and the second thing that I scheduled for every day was a meeting with my executive officer and my executive assistant. Um, again, so that between the three of us, we would have complete clarity and the opportunity to look ahead, make sure that um, the diary, the workload, all of those things, meetings were all scheduled. Um, and, and they're pretty basic things, but particularly when you were working remotely, I think it was really important that everybody had that opportunity to have that contact and, you know, trying to do it via video link and um, whether you're introverted or extroverted, hoping that people would have their video on so that you could actually see the body language, see how people were feeling. Um, another thing which we did quite early on was just touch base with some of the people who'd been under the most pressure and make sure that we scheduled some time off um, so that even if they didn't have time off that week, they knew it was the week after and that actually gave them something to hold out for. So some really basic things about just making sure that we weren't burning out staff 
um, and that the people who were most under pressure could get that break because it had been pretty relentless, not just from COVID, but really from the beginning of the year with the bushfires and everything like that. Um, so we had that basic structure in place. Then with the, the group, which was really the emergency control centre, so these are all of the deputies, um, just the simple things of making sure there was a clear agenda for each meeting, there was a clear tasking, anything that we decided was tasked, kept in an issues register that was kept up to date and once it was finished we could archive it but otherwise there was an ongoing list of all of the things which needed to be done. Um, there were some which you'd look at after three days and say, oh, that's been overtaken by events. Um, but if that didn't happen, then we had a clear log of everything, you know, an issues register that needed to be followed through on. And we kept that single issues register for every forum where decisions were being taken. We kept them in a single register. So you didn't have 10 different groups keeping track of different things, we consolidated that. So again, pretty basic things like having that issues register, but it being a single point of truth, that was really important. Um, we, we spent time working on things like a registry of, if the person on that committee isn't available, who do I go to? Because we were all involved in so many things and you sometimes didn't have time to be looking around saying, well, who else can I ask? So putting in place the, the, the basic things like a registry of the key contacts in each directorate, the key contacts in the public information campaign centre, the key contacts in the health emergency control centre, so that we could give that to ministers and other people and they all knew who to go to. Um, all of this is pretty basic, but when you hit the ground at a million miles an hour, sometimes these are the things, if you don't get them done, you don't get the efficiency that you need. Um, and um, again, we put together uh, an agenda for the morning meetings with all of the directors general that was pretty much the same process as we had during the bushfires, where you start off with all of the COVID issues, um, everybody goes around the table, and then at the end, if there's any other non-COVID issues, you get to that. Um, and putting the order of speaking and working out when we'd have the chief health officer attend, just to some really basic things so that people knew what to expect and that this was how the meetings would run, this is how decisions would be recorded, this is how they'd be followed up. Um, and for some people that's actually quite nice, just knowing there's a secretariat doing that. So you can be busy doing what you need to do and know that there's a process to make sure nothing's forgotten or lost. Yeah, I think we would have to, we definitely agree with that because a lot of the work that we do is building capability and coaching teams to operate kind of like a product team. So always be ready to iterate, um, embrace that change. And I think the core um, thing that we coach and we really care deeply about is to set up the process and the cadence so that you create a sense of predictability. Yep. So when you're managing so many different stakeholders across different disciplines and departments, there's an expectation where I know when I'm needed, I know what's expected of me, and I know my role in that meeting, yep. which is really quite powerful, I would imagine, in your scenario. Yeah, and I think um, when things are really complex, having some of those things made quite simple allows you to deal with the complexity. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it, it seems like common sense, but quite often it's not that common. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy for events to get away for you or people to just fall back on quite often software and tools, um, but that's not really driving real communication, even 
you know, something we coach all teams we work with is to have a daily stand-up, you know, at the beginning of the day, just come together and align on what you've achieved the day before and what you're focused on today. And it's that 20-minute communication at the start of the day where a huge amount of knowledge transfer actually takes place. And it's what it sets everyone up to to get on with their work for that day. And it sounds yeah. like you were kind of replicating that. The, um, the other thing which helps a lot and which I'll, I'll confess now we still aren't particularly good at, um, but is when you sort of have the discussion and you decide what needs to be done, is that you're very clear on, well, who's doing it, when are they doing it by, and what's the outcome? When will it be finished? And getting that precision so that you don't walk out of a meeting with three people going, well, were you going to do that? when's it due um so just that basic decision making process of making sure that you've taken a clear decision on who what when um and as i said i don't think we're perfect at that yet but if you have an issues register with those headings in the columns and you have to put all of the actions into it it sort of focuses the mind that we'd better start getting better at that and being really clear on who's responsible so yeah i do i do find though that those really simple things once you put them all together you can take a sigh of relief and think, okay, that's all done. Now we can actually focus on, you know, the other things which we should be putting our minds to. Yeah, definitely. Um, we do the same thing. Um, who does what by when? Um, and that structure just sets up every meeting to make sure everyone's at least somewhat clear on, on the next steps, but <laughs> forcing us to say that out loud helps so much. Yeah, well, maybe you can come and coach us so that we get better at it. Certainly, we've been trying. <laughs> I think you guys could coach us, I think, um, given by the impact of your work. I have a um, question about how do you balance, you know, the stru enough structure to give people that comfort, but enough wiggle room to experiment and adapt and learn? I think there's maybe a misconception that... Um, you know, government has very, like a lot of red tape and that there's a lot of excess amount of processes. But in this environment, that wouldn't have worked. You wouldn't have been able to iterate and adapt as quickly. So how did you balance um, having a process but still being able to experiment? Um, so I think it's probably important to understand that I don't act as a break on anyone doing anything. So I'm coordinating. I'm not... Um, I'm not stopping, I'm not an approval point, um, but it, I need to know what people are doing. I don't need to approve it. It would be my general description. And then if there are things that are happening at a whole of government level where there's no obvious group to do it, I can convene a group to get it done and get it done quickly. Um, so if I look at some of the things which happened really quickly, um, and you know, I, I know that there's a perception that government moves slowly and that we're not innovative, but um, when you need to, government can move incredibly quickly. So a couple of things we did in the ACT. One was we we have a government shop front called Access Canberra where you can go to for all of your government services. Um, obviously, with the concern about face-to-face -face delivery, they basically in three or four days put all of their services online except for I think there's one which they didn't, which might have been driver's licence renewals because that's an, such an important part of your personal identity but everything else they put online so even if you needed to get your number plates changed you filled in a form online and then someone delivered it to your front door and left it at your front door rather than having to come into the shop front pick up number plates and so within I think it was 50 additional services that were put online within less than a week and the entire service delivery model changed um, and what they then did um, because 
you know, very focused on customers is recognise that there will still be some vulnerable people in Canberra who can't access things online, who don't have internet access or who just need support. So they then set up a special time within Access Canberra that was for vulnerable people. Um, and we're able to give those people one-on-one -on -one tailored support because they were the only people in the shop front. So not only did they get rid of the face-to-face, -face, I think they've actually come up with a better service model, which hopefully will become part of the new normal. Hopefully this will be one of the silver linings of COVID, that we actually have a service which really caters for vulnerable people. Um, a little bit like some of the supermarkets did early on, having that hour first thing in the morning. Um, but the speed at which Access Canberra did that was astonishing. And then at the same time, set up a COVID helpline so that anyone anywhere in the ACT with a question about COVID-19 could either go onto a website or phone a hotline and get their answer you know, immediately or get a warm referral to the right area. Um, so that, that happened really quickly and there was nothing that prevented Access Canberra from doing that. They had the authority to just go out there and, and change their service delivery model. Um, the other thing which we did was we set up a Jobs for Canberrans fund. Um, and again, this was in the space of about three weeks. The idea was um, developed and announced and then we had a, an online system of putting jobs up on a website. People could register once, then apply for jobs. They could get automatic notifications every time we posted a job. Um, and we then found in the first week 150 jobs within ACT government that people could apply for and a recruitment process that would be completed within three weeks. Um, so again, although the public services centre slow, and in this case got it up and running really quickly, did the recruitment process really quickly, and gave priority in the program to people who aren't eligible for any form of government assistance. So the people who'd lost their jobs and couldn't get job keeper or job seeker, so temporary migrants, international students, they were given the highest priority for the jobs in the ACT public service. Um, and again, it's the seeing the group of people, a sort of multi-skilled group of people coming together and you've got the people doing the policy, the people writing the guidelines, the people finding the jobs, the people doing the IT. Um, you know, it's just astonishing what, what you can do when you get those multidisciplinary teams together. Um, so I think in that sense, having the coordinator general actually the convening power to bring those people together and get the documents written and approved and the program up and running, it, it speeds things up because you've got that focal point and the capacity to pull the right resources in. Um, with Access Canberra, they did it on their own and there was no impediment by having a coordinator general. So I was certainly aware of what they were doing, but not needing to clear it or approve it. Yeah, it's. I think it's been quite amazing. Um, sort of the, the consensus in conversations with Uber drivers and family and friends is actually there is sort of quite a respect for how quickly government moved to stand up completely new services overnight in this crisis. Um, you've spoken a lot about how you enabled collaboration internally. I'm, I'm just curious if you had any, any ways you were able to involve citizens or feedback, feedback loops with your customers in the work that you were doing? Um, so with the Jobs for Canberrans Fund, um, we set up an expert advisory group and that involved, so we were trying to understand who are the people who most need these jobs um, and 
you know, where are they going to come from? And so we set up an advisory group which had um, major industry organisations on it and also unions um, because the unions were very focused on some of these really vulnerable groups that were in sort of um, very difficult circumstances. So we had an expert advisory group that was part of the arrangements we put in place for that. Um, and then across each directorate, again, going back to what I said where we tried to build on structures that were already there, we really ramped up existing committees and existing processes. So there was um, very early on in the homeless sector, um, the housing directorate pulled together the key people who look at homeless services and set up a COVID-19 working group to make sure that we had everything in place to look after homeless people and people in congregate living arrangements because they were high risk from COVID-19. In the Economic Development Directorate, we stood up a business liaison group. Um, in major projects, Canberra, they had a working group of all of the key construction players, the master builders and so on. So each directorate really ramped up their existing structures and used them rather than taking the time to create new ones, you know, set them up, get them to know each other. So the quicker and more effective approach was to actually build on existing structures. And, and that's been part and parcel of what each directorate has done. Um, and then anyone else that sort of wanted contact with the chief health officer, again, as coordinator general, we would try and coordinate that. So as not to put too much impost on the chief health officer, because everyone wanted her health advice on what they were doing for their business. So coming up with a process to actually get them good advice, um, but not necessarily have them distracting the Cho, I shouldn't say distracting, but making sure that the Cho had time to really focus on the health issues that she needed to focus on. Yeah, that's awesome. In the, in the last couple of minutes that we have, I, I do want to cover on the silver linings. And as we look towards the future, what, what do you think are those silver linings? Um, well, the first one for me is that we will move to having much more flexible working arrangements. Um, and I've been a fan and an advocate of that for several years. Um, and I think we've taken a step forward so that we won't go back to the old way of working. Um, we will have people that can get that flexibility in their life by being able to work from home or work from different locations. So to me, that's a huge um, silver lining. I think we've also learnt some lessons about communicating with the public. Um, and I think as government, one of the really important things was the message on COVID-19 got through because we just focused on the important COVID-19 messages. So if you prioritise the messages um, rather than have 77 competing things happening at the same time, it's much easier. Um, and we do that in an emergency. I think we do that quite well in an emergency, but we've been doing this for so long now, like this is a long-term change. I think we will get better at, you know, how we communicate and how we engage the public. Um, and again, I think that's a good thing. Um, I think in terms of the ICT, so again, I am way better now at WebEx and a whole lot of technology and Microsoft Teams. And they are, they're not just tools for sort of video sort of look, linkages they're actually collaborative tools for teams in the workplace and so i think we will take better advantage of the technology that's there um, and i think we'll do that regardless of our age or our inclination it's just become part of what we do um, and that's been normalized and will be part of the new normal um, i think there's been some really 
interesting shifts at a political level as well. So the National Cabinet, and I, I, I should confess when I was in the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet, I looked after COAG. Um, so um, I've been watching with great interest the death of COAG and its replacement with National Cabinet. Um, I think it has, it's done two things. One, it's shown that governments can work together. That doesn't mean they're completely agreed on everything, but on the important things they aligned and that was really important. But what I particularly liked was um, seeing that partnership between the experts and the politicians um, and, you know, the reliance on people who know about health to give good advice on health. We haven't seen that in every country. And I think it's been a real strength of the Australian system. And I really hope that that's a silver lining, that that, that sort of obviously the politicians make the decisions, but when they're really well informed by, you know, really great um, advice, I, I think that's stood Australia in really, really good stead. Um, so I'm hoping that National Cabinet will be um, a silver lining. Um, and then the, the last thing I'd just say is that in the ACT government, we always try and work as one service. Um, and we've now had six months of doing that on steroids because of the bushfires and the smoke and, and all of that. Um, and I think we've connected up. We, like you just, it's automatic to think about other directorates and linkages between what other people are doing. Um, and I hope that that's another silver lining that we, we, we've always had that as a focus and I hope that that's become even stronger. Um, and that, you know, in, in some way, having um, gone through 2020, that when we come out the other end, it will be seamless for the citizen, that they really will feel as though they're dealing with one government, even to the point of I give my information once and then it's reused, rather than, um, you know, every person I deal with, it's like a completely different transaction. So I would hope that that one government um, is another silver lining. Yeah, amazing. And I hope we can, uh, not just in government, but everywhere we can, we can take those silver linings and keep that momentum and come out stronger on the, the other side of this. And I guess final wrap up, kind of, again, wanted to bring it back to a personal reflection. Um, managing through this crisis, you know, what's it taught you about people in society? Have, have you had any reflections there? Um, so the thing which has struck me most um, is the vast majority of people, how they lean in and how they help others. Um, and you, you see it in a thousand different ways. So in, in my role as coordinator general, people have lent in, offered help. And if I've asked for help, they've said, yes, you can have that. Is there anything else I can do? Um, we've really seen that in the community as well. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's still going to be a really tough time ahead. Um, I just hope that we can continue as a community. I think the, the tagline we're using in Canberra is be strong together. Um, and you've seen, you've seen that happen. You've seen people who care. Um, you've seen people who reach out. Um, even, even with um, some of the vulnerable people in the community, the people who make contact with them and go the extra mile to help them. So that's probably what I take the most encouragement from, that just in every sense um, we're a strong community when we work together and we've seen during 2020 so many people doing that and looking at the greater good, the community good, not just worrying about themselves. 
That's a wonderful place to leave it. Rebecca, thanks ever so much for joining us. This show is brought to you by Future Friendly, a design and innovation studio based out of Australia. Let's make the future together today.